seated. Are you guys happy to be here? I'm excited to be here. I hope you are too. If you have your Bibles, Hebrews chapter 4 is where we're going to be this morning. Who is someone that you would like to have access to that you do not have access to now? Maybe it would be somebody in a particular field, a leader in something you're interested in. Maybe you're a business person, and so there's some owner of a business company, someone that does a podcast, someone that has a YouTube channel. Maybe, maybe, some, maybe you like to have lunch with Dave Ramsey. I don't know, something like that. Or, or maybe, maybe it's a sports figure. Maybe it's some, somebody that you like just had a, a real respect for. You could have a, a lunch with him or some, spend some time with him or her find out what they were thinking at a particular game or in a particular moment. Maybe that's something that you would like. Maybe it's like a musician. Who here is like really into music? I love music. And there's some musicians I'd love to spend time with, pick their brain, figure out how to pick and grin like they do, right? Or something like that. Um, maybe somebody like that. Maybe, maybe it's someone in your past. Maybe the person you don't have access to is a mother or a father or a grandma. Who here misses somebody that's gone to be in heaven? Yeah, maybe, maybe that's who you'd like to have access to somebody. I, I, this week, my aunt posted a picture uh, that I had never seen before of my mom who has gone to be with Jesus. And she looked young in that picture. And, and my dad looked like a weird kind of 80s hippie kind of thing. And so that was kind of, who, who has pictures like that? <laughs> Yeah, so maybe, maybe it's somebody like that. You're just like, man, I wish I could just talk to them again and find out. Sometimes you meet people like that. You're like, oh, you knew my mom? I, tell, me about, tell me about what she was like, you know, that kind of thing. Maybe it's a person, maybe the person you don't have access to but that you'd like to have access to is someone with like lots of resources. Maybe you've got a business idea. Some kind of thing you, and if you just had just a few moments with somebody that had the right knowledge or the right expertise or maybe the right bank account. <laughs> they could help you in some particular area. Or you can make a good connection. Maybe you want access to someone you don't even know yet. There's some people in the room that are single. And I know when I was single, I remember thinking, man, what's my wife going to be like one day? You know, and, and that kind of a thing. Maybe there, there was a pop song when I was in college, that, and I remember being lonely and listening to the song, it says, I'm so tired of being alone, so hurry up and get here. That was the, the lyrics to the song, and I'm like, yeah, hurry up, you know. Maybe there are times that you're just lonely, and you want there to be access to people just because you don't, maybe you're by yourself all the time, and, and, and you have people in your life that you depend on. You know, we have a lot of access to people today. Uh, we have a lot of access to people even if they're far away. This week, I had almost instant communication with my buddy, Brett Anderson, who we support, a missionary that's in Spain. I'm on his, his board for his, um, his sending agency, and so he, he and I were talking back and forth. I had um, some friends from Wales that sent me a, a polo. You don't even know what a polo is, but he sent me a polo, and we heard from him just like in a live way. And in, in, in Wales, I, heard, I have a friend that's started a church I went to college with, started a church in Australia, and this week he's in Israel, and I'm finding out about what he's learning when he's in Israel. And like, we have so much access 
to people, and sometimes we have access to people, and we don't even take advantage of it. We don't, we don't, anybody have somebody you probably need to call, you haven't talked to them in a while, and you have that access to them, but you don't take advantage of it. There was a time where communication, like the kind of communication we have today, is, was not possible, even in my lifetime. Who remembers when you first got a cell phone? And who remembers having like 50 minutes until nights and weekends, and then you had 5,000 minutes, but you had to wait till 9 o'clock? Okay, if you're old enough to remember that, raise your hand, okay? None of the young people raise your hand, okay? It's fine. But I remember waiting, counting down the time until I could call the person I wanted to call and not use up all my minutes. There was a time when that kind of communication, that kind of access, we didn't even have it. My, my wife is from West Idaho. I'm from Southeast, from the West in Idaho. I'm from the Southeast in Florida. And we met right in the middle in Springfield, Missouri. There was a time in the not too distant past where we probably would not have even met each other. There were times in history where someone left where they were from and the chances of communicating with them again dropped dramatically. You know, you, you live in the East and you're going out West to make Go west, young man, they would say, and they guys would go out there, and you, you don't know if you'll ever see that guy again. And that's just how it was. The Bible is full of letters that were hand-delivered, right? You read the end of the, the letters that Paul wrote, and it's, hey, I'm sending this person, and, and, and greet them, and accept them, and love them. Think about it like we have sometimes a hard time getting people to work the nursery. What about taking a letter across the, across, hey, I, I got a letter to send. Can someone volunteer to go on a trip? To take the, that would be a difficult thing, right? We have more access to more people on an individual basis than we ever have, and yet we don't always take advantage of those possibilities. I was thinking about that this week, access to other people and how we take advantage of that when I was thinking about the passage that's before us today in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. The, the big idea of Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, and it's not disconnected. I'm going to show you how it's connected to everything we've been learning the past few weeks. The big idea of this particular couple of verses is this. We have a great high priest named Jesus Christ. A, a priest was someone, and we'll talk about this quite a lot over the next couple of chapters. A priest is someone in the Old Testament that would go to God on behalf of people, right? And we'll talk about what that looks like. We have a great high priest. Jesus is greater. You see the logo. Jesus is a greater high priest than anything that ever came before. And he gives us access to God. Incredible access to God, better than having access to some thought leader, podcast, YouTube star, musician, athlete, politician, better than any of that, we have access to God. Okay, that was a weak amen. The God of the universe that breathed out the stars, that designed everything, that has every resource you could ever need you have access to. That's good. We often do not fully comprehend and rarely do we really take advantage of the access that we have to the God of the universe as we should. So here's my proposal to you today. 
This morning, here's what I want you to take away from this sermon. You should use your access to God every day. You need God every day. God doesn't need you every day. You need him. And you, you can access God if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. You can access God every day because of Jesus Christ's high priestly ministry to you and for you. You should do this because Jesus Christ gives us incredible access to God for three reasons. He gives us incredible access to God, and he's actually really good at giving us access to God because of three reasons, three character traits that he has. Are you ready? Number one, reason number one he gives us incredible access to God is number one, his position. His position. Look at verse 14. This is so cool. Man, I hope, that, I hope at the end of this that you're so motivated to actually have a relationship with God through prayer. I hope that, that this isn't just something that, are we just at church because it's Sunday morning? Is that why you're here? Are you just here because of the time of the week that it is? Are you just here because of tradition? Forget tradition. Why are you here? Let's grow. Who wants to grow? Who wants to be better at the end? Of the, hey, good. Praise the Lord. Okay. When you go to some, some, some uh, diners, the, the cup is already, the, the mug is already on the, on the saucer on the, are you with me? I'm kind of old school. You know what I'm talking about? You get there and this, how do you tell the waitress you want coffee? Flip it over. Okay, flip over the cup this morning. I want to give you something. Okay? In your heart and mind, are you ready to grow? Let's do it. Look at what he says here. Verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens. Now that, I'm going to stop the sentence fragment there. When the author here says, seeing then, he's referencing all that has been said up until this point. He's been building a case. We're in Hebrews chapter 4, not Hebrews chapter 1, and there's been some things that he's told us beforehand. So if you've not been here before, let me kind of catch you up. This series, is this, the title of the series is called Jesus is Greater because the book of Hebrews is all about better. It's all about showing us how that the Old Testament had pictures that were pointing to New Testament realities. In the Old Testament, there were priests that were men. Now we have a high priest that is Jesus Christ. That's better. He's a better high priest. We have seen already that Jesus has a better name, that he's better than the angels, right? That, that the angels were ministering experience, but now he never said to an angel, you're my son, today I've begotten you. <laughs> Jesus, their servants, Jesus is the son. Uh, he's better than Moses. Moses gave us the law. The law can't save us. Jesus is who saves us. The law just tells us, the rules just tell us that we mess up. Anybody mess up? Yeah, you read the Ten Commandments, and if you read that with any kind of honesty, you realize I am flawed. I have broken, and the Bible says if we've broken one, we've broken them all. Jesus came didn't, not to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. He came to give us rest. He came to give us grace and mercy. And so he kept the law that we could not keep, and then he gives us his righteousness. Who's excited about that? That's a great thing. So he's better than Moses, and he gives us a better rest. Jesus is greater. Jesus is better. And so as we move on from these introductory ideas, the author moves on 
to the superiority of Jesus Christ's priesthood. We have a better high priest. So to understand how Jesus is better than the Old Testament high priest, you have to know something about that priesthood. What was that priest in the Old Testament? Well, the Old Testament priests would mediate to God on behalf of the people of Israel. They did this through the sacrificial system in worship. Old Testament priests, in function, much of the time, were like butchers. Because they were always making sacrifices for sins, literal animal sacrifices for sins, on behalf of the, the people of God. Because they were sinful themselves, another way that Jesus is a better high priest, they sinned. And because they sinned, they had to sacrifice for themselves before they could sacrifice for anybody else. We will say much more about the priesthood in the coming weeks as we venture through Hebrews, but what must be understood now is that a priest mediated between men and God, especially through the sacrifices that were made to atone for sin. The blood that was shed was a picture of the blood that would be shed in Jesus Christ. So here the author says that Jesus Christ is our great high priest. And it's not the first time he said it in Hebrews. If you go back to um, chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, it says, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle, or the sent one, and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. So Jesus Christ, like Moses, was sent as an apostle. Apostle just means sent one. Moses was sent to Egypt to Pharaoh. What was Moses' message when he was sent to Pharaoh? Let my people go. Let my people go. That was his message. And so he became someone who went to the because of God, he went. He was a prophet, but he also mediated between God and man. But he was the apostle that went to Pharaoh. And Jesus was better than Moses because he could provide a greater rest than Moses could ever provide. All Moses could provide was getting them to the promised land. Jesus provides a better rest because it's not about a land. It's about a person living inside of us that gives us rest. Isn't that awesome? But Jesus Christ, like Aaron, was a high priest. But he's a better high priest for so many reasons. We see him as a better high priest here in his position because first, he's better because of where he is. He's better because of where he is. Okay? Now, verse 14, it says this, Seeing then we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens. The scripture says here he's passed into the heavens. The high priest in the Old Testament worked in the tabernacle, and then in the temple, you got a picture here of the tabernacle. Um, I hate to do this. Can one of you guys bring me a pointer? Do we have a pointer? Should have thought about this earlier this week. Amen? Okay. This is a replica of the Old Testament tabernacle. It's not exactly perfect. This isn't inspired, but it gives you some kind of an idea. In the tabernacle, you had... Thank you. This is exciting. Can you see the green dot? Okay. In the tabernacle, you had this, this outer wall, which was fabric on the tabernacle. Tabernacle is a tent, and it was made of fabric and, and, and wood. God prescribed how that would happen. 
only certain people were allowed inside. Uh, the Jews were allowed in here, not the women, just the men. This area, the holy place, were only where only high priests were allowed, and back here it would have been called the Holy of Holies. And you can't see it because it's so small, but right there in the picture, there's the Ark of the Covenant. It's behind the Holy of Holies. It's the place that only one priest could go once a year on the Day of Atonement. So there was this Holy of Holies, this place right here was the place that um, God's manifest, it's not that God, God's omnipresent, you understand that. God's everywhere. But his manifest presence showed up here in the, in the tabernacle. In fact, at one time, the glory of God came down in the tabernacle when they finished it. Same thing happened in the temple. But, but the manifest presence of God was there in the tabernacle so that if, a, if the priest, even the priest, if anybody went in there, they would die. Even the high priest, when he would go in, they would put a rope around his, his ankle so that if he went in there and died because he wasn't worthy to be in the presence of God, they'd pull him out. A priest had access. Old Testament priests had access that the normal everyday person didn't have. Same thing happened in the temple. You go to the next slide there. Uh, this is the Herod's temple. This has been the temple of Jesus' time. You have here the gate called Beautiful, and, the, and they call this the Gentile, the court of the Gentiles. If you were a, a Gentile, you could go to that part. You could not go into this part, to this woman's, what's called the women's courtyard, unless you were Jewish. Gentiles couldn't go in there. In fact, if you remember in the book of Acts, a bunch of Jews rioted, being mad and stirred up by uh, Greek-speaking Jews that had come to Jerusalem and, and accused the apostle Paul of bringing Gentiles into the temple. You guys remember when that happened? And so if you were a, a Jewish woman, you could go here, but the women could not go into this here, what's called the priest courtyard. The men could, but they could only go to certain parts. And then this holy place was kind of a replica of what happened in the tabernacle. There was the holy place and then the holy of holies. And again, it's the same thing. The priest in the day of, uh, in the day of atonement were the, were the only ones allowed inside that particular, that particular area. The whole edifice was called the holy place. That inner part was called the holy of holies. And you know what was awesome when Jesus died on the cross? The Bible says the temple, that's, or the, the, uh, the curtain, the veil that separated the holy place from the Holy of Holies that kept people from accessing the place that was most uh, known for the manifest presence of God. That, that veil in the temple ripped, but not from bottom to top. It ripped from top to bottom. It ripped in, only, in, in a way that only God could have done it. Man didn't do it. God tore that veil from top to bottom. And you know what he was saying? Now you're the temple. <laughs> Now the Holy Spirit's going to come and live inside of you. It's not about a place. Jesus said to the Samaritan woman, there's coming a time when those who worship God will worship him in spirit and in truth. So think about this verse. He says, now seeing them, we have a great high priest that has passed into heaven. Jesus is not just the high priest. He is a great high priest. Why? Because of his location. Where is Jesus in the verse? He's in the... You see it? Where is he at? He's in the heavens. <laughs> he's, in the, 
He's in the heavens. He's gone to the most holy place, to the heavens where God the Father is. We were already told where Jesus went after he died. He was buried and rose again and ascended into the heaven. Do you remember? It's already been told us in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, just the beginning of the whole thing. Remember? God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake unto us in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom he also made the worlds who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, are you ready? Sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. The priest had access to God because God, although God is omnipresent, his manifest presence was most notable in the Holy of Holies. That is where the high priest had access to him through the mediation of the covenant relationship expressed through the sacrificial system, ceremonial washings, and the like. Talk about access to God. Now the high priest of our profession, Jesus, is found sitting at the right hand of God in heaven. Is that a better place? We got people in high places. Talk about access to God. His high priestly position is better because of his location. It's also better because of who he is. Look at verse 14. Seeing that we have a great high priest that is passed in the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. When you have an in, when it comes to a relationship, access is more easily obtained. At the last church I worked at, there were 10 full-time staff members on leadership staff. We had more than that in support staff, including secretaries, receptionists, radio and television ministry support staff, building and maintenance support staff, bus ministry, mechanics and workers. There's a lot of people on staff. And Pastor Frazier was definitely accessible. But when you have a large congregation and that many employees, it's if you just let anybody come in at any time, it can get kind of hairy. And so you don't just usually walk in. There's, there's a secretary. Anybody seen a situation like that? Where is that a secretary? Yeah. So we all recognize that that's the case. And, and some, someone that leads large groups of people, they, ha- they have to kind of manage how that happens. I, I noticed, though, that someone did have the kind of access to pastor's office where they could just walk in. You know who it was? They would stroll right past the receptionist most of the time. You know who it was? Connor, Pastor Frazier's son. He walked right past the secretary most of the time. Rachel, Pastor Frazier's wife, she got in every time. Lauren, Pastor Frazier's daughter, they had a special access to him because of their relationship. Our high priest to God in the heavens is in the heavens, and he's right next to God. Our high priest to God is Jesus Christ, his son. What is Jesus' relationship with the Father? It was stated by God himself at Jesus' baptism. What did he say in Matthew three seventeen? And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. Peter gave a witness to God's testimony about Jesus' relationship to God at his transfiguration. 
2 Peter 1.16 says, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but by witnesses to his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory, where when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. The author of Hebrews already told us that Jesus has appeared to the angels in his name because he's the only begotten son. Hebrews 1.4, being made so much better than the angels as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For unto which of the angels has said he, God the Father, at any time, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he bringeth forth his first begotten into the world, he saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. If you want to get a job from somebody, it's good to have a relationship with people they love. Right? That's how the world works. We have access to God the Father through Jesus Christ, God's Son. He loves us. Jesus loves you. God loves you. God sent Jesus to die for you. God sent his spirit when you got saved to live inside of you. And now you have the third person of the spirit living in you. You have the son not only having died for you, but now representing you to God the Father. This is amazing. Don't think of this as dry theological truth. This is a reality that you can live in. You have access to God through Jesus, who's there with God, and who is his son, and he's the one that died for you. He's the one that now lives there ever to make intercession for us. <laughs> he's a better high priest, the great high priest in this position because of his location and because of his identity. Number two, why is he better? Why is he a better high priest? Here's the second reason. Not only his position, Number two, his perfection. His perfection. Look at what it says. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Now stop there. Not only is Jesus Christ our great high priest giving us access to God because of his position, he is also our great high priest. He's so much better than anything we have access to because of his perfection. And there's two ways that he displayed his perfection, and he still displays his perfection that are referenced in this verse. First, we see that Jesus is touched. He's touched. Well, what, I'm, what do I mean by that? Well, he says here, verse 15, very clearly, we, are not, we don't have a high priest which cannot be touched by the feelings of our infirmities. Now, when it says that Jesus can't, cannot be untouched, we can also say that Jesus can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. What does that mean? Th that, that means he can and does care for us. That's what it means. He, he knows what it's like to deal with things that we deal with as human beings living in a cursed world. You know why? Because he was a human being, he is a human being, and he came and lived in this sin-cursed world. He's not some high priest that's untouched with what... He knows what we've gone through. He knows what we're going through. There may be some that are reading, like, well, Jesus is in heaven. What does he know about life down here? I want to give you that answer. 
He knew what it was like to lose close friends to death. He was acquainted with grief. In John 6, when he was about to raise his friend to life from the dead, he looked around and saw the grief that was being experienced by people who had just lost their brother. And you know what it says he did? He wept. Jesus weeps. He wept. He saw the grief. He knew the loss. And he wept. There were moments where Jesus was frustrated. Anybody ever here be frustrated? Here's another way of asking that. Anybody here have kids? Anybody here have a husband or a wife? Relationships? Oh, faithless generation, how long will I suffer to be with you? Jesus had parents, teenagers. Jesus had parents. Jesus was perfect, and he had parents that weren't. I'm not saying you're perfect and your parents. I'm saying Jesus had imperfect parents. Anybody here ever have an imperfect parent? Je Jesus had brothers and sisters. Je Jesus, had, Jesus had people who questioned his motives. He, he couldn't sin, and yet people called him a sinner. He was there to love people, and no good deed goes unpunished. He would, he would get accused for that. Jesus had people who were angry with him. Jesus at times was hungry. Jesus was thirsty. He experienced extreme pain. He became obedient unto death, even death on a cross, Philippians says. He was in so much pressure that before he went to the cross, he sweat great drops of blood before he even got there. He had people betray him. Anybody ever have anybody disloyal to you? You ever have anybody say things falsely about you, slander you? He had people betray him. He spent a night in jail. Think about that. For most of his ministry, he was basically homeless. Jesus is not untouched with the feelings of our infirmities. Think about it. The God who breathed out the stars became flesh and dwelt among us. Imagine how, you, imagine how you feel in heaven. The best you've ever felt is like a bad day in heaven. I'm just making that up, but you get my point. Who thinks heaven's a great place to be? Right, better than any day here. Jesus left that and became not the king in the sense that he had everybody worshiping him and acknowledging him. And he came and was born into poverty. He was born into poverty. And the Bible says that he became poor so that you through his poverty might be made rich. The writer of Hebrews is saying that Jesus had a capacity to feel for us because he experienced in physical fashion, relational fashion, what it means to be human. Notice that that phrase is expressed in the, past, in the present tense. He says, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. That's in the present tense. He's saying, no, Jesus still has a capacity to feel what we feel now. Do you get it? Now that's a mystery, isn't it? He cares. 
It's not just saying that he, what, that he went through it in the past. It's saying that he can sympathize with us right now because of his experience. Yet it doesn't end there. He has been touched and can be touched by the feelings of our infirmities. If that's where it ended, though, he would not be the different than any other priest. Every priest, being a man, has been able to live the human experience. But there's something unique about Jesus' ability. Not only did he experience what we experience, but also you see that he conquered temptation. Jesus was not just touched, he's tempted. Look at what it says. For we have not a high priest, which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. In all points, in every way. It doesn't mean that Jesus went through the exact details that is the detail of every human experience. It does mean that he was tempted in all the ways, in all the categories that were tempted. He endured all the things that we do and was tempted in every way, but there was something unique. It can't be said about any other human being. He went through it and never sinned. He was sinless. He never did anything wrong. He, he never did anything right for the wrong reason. Anybody ever do something good and then get prideful about it? Like every time I do that, right? That's not good. He never did anything right for the wrong reasons. His motives were pure. His actions were pure. His thoughts were pure. His heart motivation was to please our Heavenly Father at every moment, at every moment. So he, let me just summarize what I just told you, okay? This is amazing. You got to get this. A priest mediates to God on behalf of another. This means that he must have access to God. Jesus has passed through heavenly realms and is sitting on the right hand of God. A priest mediates to God, and that means that he must have a right relationship with God. Jesus Christ is the Son of God in whom the Father is well pleased. A priest mediates to God on behalf of us. This means he represents us in our humanity. Jesus is the God-man who experienced what it means to be human. A priest mediates to God on behalf of us and our sin. And here's the cool thing. He died for our sin. He could die for our sin and give us righteousness because he had a righteousness to give. He never sinned. Do you see it? Jesus is greater in every way. And he ever lives to give intercession, for, to make intercession for us. Jesus Christ gives us access to God and is our high priest, not only because of his position, but also because of his perfection. And that leads me to this third reason. He's our great high priest because of his provision. Provision, what he provides. Look at what it says. Verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly. Let me read that again. Let us therefore come boldly. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. <laughs> in verse 16, 
we see that Jesus is our great high priest because, because of his provision. As high priest, he gives us access to the provision of both God the Father and God the Son. What is that provision? He gives us two things. We sing about both of them today. I don't think Dawn had a clue what I was going to preach, but yet she picked the right songs. It's almost like God did it. What do we sing? Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. And what do we sing? His mercy is more. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. What is the provision? Grace. It's been commonly defined as being given things that we don't deserve. Grace is getting good when we don't deserve it. In this verse, we're told to approach the throne of what? The throne of grace. I love that. He says where God sits, it's a throne of grace. The throne is presumably where God is and where God sits at, and where Jesus Christ sits at his right hand. He rules and reigns over everything. His posture towards us is gracious because of his dear son who intercedes for us. Mercy is commonly defined as not getting the justice that we do deserve. The Bible says sin, when it is finished, it brings forth death. The soul that sins, it shall die. God told Adam and Eve, the day that you eat of the fruit of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil, uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, in that day you will surely die. What we deserve from God is death. Eternal separation from God forever. What God gives us because of Jesus is grace and mercy. We have been given mercy and grace. We deserve separation from God and therefore everything that is good forever because of our sin. We deserve death. We deserve punishment. Yet because of Jesus Christ's substitutionary death on the cross for us, God's wrath for our sin was poured out on him. Hell, judgment was poured out on him so that we didn't have to take it. Yet because of Jesus Christ's substitutionary death on the cross, God's wrath was poured out on him, and now he lives again, interceding for, uh, for, for us. We have been given mercy and grace. We are being given mercy and grace. We will be given mercy and grace. This is God's love for us, and what he wants to give us as a result is Christ's intercessory and mediating work on the cross. Mercy and grace are not just what you need to get to heaven. Mercy and grace are not just what you need to get uh, for you to have salvation. Mercy and grace are what you need to get through Walmart. Are you with me? We don't just need mercy and grace to get to heaven. We need to get it through every day. I need it today. Anything good I do is because of Jesus. I, you don't know how flawed I am. You don't know how flawed you are. It's what you need to parent your kids. It's what you need to be, it's what we need to be unified as a church and take on our mission of reaching people and teaching people and ministering to people. Mercy and grace are what we need in our relationship with God. 
And it's what we need in our relationship with each other. We need mercy and we need grace. And you know who has it full to overflowing? Jesus Christ, God the Father. It's available to us. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So what should our response be? You're like, Pastor Ben, that was really theological, maybe a little bit deep. I, I get it. Like, I get the points. You helped us understand the passage. I get it. What does it mean for me this Wednesday at two? How does it impact me Tuesday morning at one o'clock? Well, here's a couple things. It's literally what he says our response should be in the text. I read it, but I moved past it pretty quickly. Let's talk about it. Number one, our first responsibility, our first response to the fact that we have access to God. We have access to God. He's died for us. He loves us. We can talk to him. We can talk to him. Right now, you could talk to him. He hears you if you're his kid. He knows what you're saying if you're not, but he's obligated himself to you if you're his kid in the sense that he says, you're my kid, I'll hear you. So, so what, what sh how should we respond? Well, number one, it says in the verse, let us hold fast our profession. Let's hold fast our profession. This passage has been talking about um, finding our rest in God. Finding our rest in God. This, this is amazing. Look, you guys your Bible, have your Bibles? Go to Hebrews 4 is where we're at. Last week, he talked about, he's like, there's a rest for the people of God, right? Verse 9, there remaineth a rest for the people of God. We said that rest is accessed by salvation, but it's also accessed by sanctification, that we can have a fulfilling, joyous, fruit-bearing relationship with God. We can have rest in Jesus Christ. And then he says, because God will transform us, and as he transforms us, he, he, he does his part, he transforms us, we do our part, we just stay, we remain, he grows us. Remember that? Okay. He, how does that happen? He says, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the dividing of soul and spirit, joint of the marrow. You see it there? and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You know what that means? God knows what you think. God knows what you feel. He knows why you do what you do, good and bad. He understands it better than you do. What you need is to understand it. So God's given us his word, and James says it's like a mirror, and I can discern what's going on in my heart that impacts my actions as I read it. He says, if you look at, verse, at the next verse, he says, neither, verse 13, is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open under the eyes of him which whom, with whom we have to do. You know what that means? God knows everything about you. That should scare us. He knows everything about us. His Bible exposes us. 
You're laying there naked in front of him. He, he knows everything about you. But that's not bad news because he loves you. Do you see the connection? We have a great high priest who's not untouched by the feelings of our infirmities. He was tempted in every point like we are, yet without sin. How was Jesus on the cross? He hung there naked. He bore the sin of the whole world. He took on our shame and our guilt. Isn't that amazing? And so he says, let's hold fast our profession. What does that mean? Jesus is my only shot at rest. Jesus is my only shot at mercy and grace. Jesus is my only shot at heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Your only representation to God that will get you out of this life alive is Jesus Christ sitting at the right hand of God. Don't walk away from that. That's your hope. God saved you so that you would have access to God. The relationship that was broken in the garden is now being restored and you can walk with God in the cool of the day. You can have rest again because of the access that you have to God. So let's hold on to that profession. Are you a Christian? Yes! I'm a Christian! It's my only hope. Hold on to it. And then, what's our second reaction? Let us come boldly. He already knows you naked. He already knows you inside and out, and he loves you. And he wants what's best for you, and he wants to provide you rest and an abundant life. So you don't have anything to be ashamed of in this sense. Of course, we're, we're shameful of our sin. But you know, when we bring our sin to God and we're just like, God, you know I'm a sinner. You know what repentance is? Repentance is just this. I agree with God about my sin. What God says about my sin is what I say about my sin. The way God sees my sin is the way I see it. We just agree with God. We turn from the way we used to think about our sin, hiding it. And we just say, God, you died for this. You sent your son to die for this. And you said that if I asked you to forgive me, you'd forgive me. You've already forgiven my sin. I want to be right with you. And I've got this mercy that I need. I've got grace that I need, not just for salvation, but for sanctification. Not just so that I can go to heaven, but so that I can get through my day. So can I have a good relationship with my kids? So that I can have a right relationship with my fellow believers at church, even the really annoying ones. So I can get along with my boss. Do you get it? And some of you are trying to go through the Christian life without Jesus. You're not reading his word that exposes you and makes you think right. And you're not talking to him. And I'm in the boat with you sometimes. And then I wonder, why am I not experiencing rest? Why is this Christian life so hard? The Christian life is 
fair near impossible if you don't have Jesus. <laughs> the Word of God's quick and powerful and sharper to the sword. It discerns us. The Holy Spirit who wrote it lives inside of us. And when we let it examine us and when we obey its truths, it, we stay with God and we hear what He says. He produces all kind of fruit in us and joy in us. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm saying that gives you direction and life. And then when you realize that this is about a relationship, it's not just about knowing things. It's about not just about knowing about Jesus, but it's actually about having a relationship with Jesus. Then you can hold fast to that profession. You can claim that as your identity. Yes, I'm a Christian. And Jesus, I'm so grateful that you can bring me to God. So when we say, in Jesus' name, amen, that's not a rabbit's foot at the end of a prayer. That's how we get to God. That's how we access that grace and that mercy. He's a great high priest because of his position. He's a great high priest because of his perfection. And he is a great high priest because of his provision. And what I want you to know is this. If you don't know Christ as your Savior... If there's never been a time where you recognize fundamentally I'm a sinner and I need salvation, Jesus died for me, and that's my only shot at heaven, you're not saved. That's the first place to start, repentance, faith in Christ. And then he comes and lives inside of you. So what should our response be? What should your response be to this sermon? Are you ready? Go to God! Pray! Pray is not something that you have to do. Pray is something that you get to do. Pray. You know what we were just told? We have access to God, the God of the universe. You get to get on his calendar because he's limitless. You'll have a harder time getting on any man's calendar than you do getting on God's calendar. He loves you. He wants to hear from you. I don't know what it is lately about me with quoting lyrics, but I'm going to do it again. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege it is to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what needless pain we forfeit. Oh, what peace we often forfeit, oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. There is salvation rest for your soul. There is sanctification rest for your soul. There is a transformation power that's available to you through God's word. There is a mercy and grace available to you through going to God in prayer. You can approach the throne of grace and find mercy and grace to help you in time of need. And so, what did Jesus say? Come to me, all that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for my yoke for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Come unto me, all that labor and are heavy laden, and I will 
give you rest. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me?